0: Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters: a podcast for homeowners in resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley.
1: and I'm Mike Bullard.
0: <laughs> and we have a great guest for you today. Mike and I are joined by Rock USA's startup team member Mary O'Hara. She's loved by many across the network and throughout resident-owned communities across the US. She's taking on some new responsibilities here at Rock USA, and we're excited to get into those today on our podcast, Mike.
1: That's right. But first, a little background for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting Mary yet. Mary O'Hara joined Rock USA in 2008 as director of Rock USA Network, where she was instrumental in building and overseeing Rock USA's network of affiliates and technical assistance providers for more than 14 years. Earlier this year, Mary was promoted to executive vice president of Rock Movement. In her new role, she works closely with the Rock Association on outreach, education, policy work, and amplification. She recently testified about infrastructure needs in resident owned communities to the U.S. House Appropriations Subcommittee for Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and other related agencies.
0: Wonderful. Well, let's dig right in, Mary. It's great to have you here on Ownership Matters. Thank you for joining us.
2: It's good to be here, Paul.
0: Why, thank you. <laughs> We jumped from a meeting and right into recording a podcast. So uh, let's shift gears here. And let's, actually, let's shift gears so much, we're going to look back 15 years, because Mary O'Hare, you've been at Rock USA since day one. In fact, actually a little before day one. And you came to Rock USA, not as a young woman, but as someone uh, along in your career a little bit. So what were you up to before Rock USA? Note to listeners, she's laughing right now, everyone.
2: I did actually come to Rock USA as a very young woman and <laughs> have aged since I got here. But before I came to Rock USA, I was primarily involved in working with community land trusts, cooperatives, and community loan funds. So I started my work in community reinvestment and the enforcement of the Community Reinvestment Act, which actually had to be done by citizens in order for that very important statute to actually get uh, put into play and make sure that everybody who was credit worthy had access to credit across the country. And from there, I got involved in community loan funds, which as you know better than anyone was the precursor to Community Development Financial Institutions or CDFIs as we have at Rock USA Capital and cooperatives for cooperative housing, most often cooperatives for housing, but also cooperatives for all kinds of things. Cooperatives for um, owners of businesses, so worker cooperatives and food cooperatives and farming cooperatives and fishing cooperatives across the board. Um, I did a lot of work with the Cooperative Fund of New England and the Cooperative Development Institute, which is currently an affiliate with Rock USA. And then community land trusts as a form of shared equity housing, which enables folks to both buy and get into home ownership at an affordable level by splitting the ownership of the land um, from the ownership of the home, and giving people all of the rights associated with the ownership of the land, but holding onto the home as a means for folks to earn equity and wealth in their home, just like any other homeowner. So community land trusts are, are very similar to resident-owned communities, actually, in that manner. So that's what I did.
0: Yeah. Well, listeners who've listened to our podcast with Michael Swack, just recently recorded and will be released just prior to Mary's, uh, will hear a lot of parallels in Michael Swack's background and Mary's, both in community loan funds and in community land trust and co-op. So, and both of you are New Englanders. So I suspect you and Michael have bounced into each other, bumped into each other many times over over the last whatever. I won't state number of years since I've now brought up the age issue.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't consider it an issue,
1: Paul. <laughs> age is just a number. There's no <laughs> issue with age. And I'm sure that many, many millions of New York residents will be thrilled to learn that they've now been assimilated into New England. (laughs) Well, and I
2: have known Michael Sweck since I first got out of college. I actually met Michael Sweck back during Community Reinvestment Act days, and I used to go and be a guest speaker at his classes at Southern New Hampshire University. And of course, as Paul knows all this, because I've known Paul since pretty much the beginning of his career, because I I was involved with the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund as one of the first community loan funds in the country, along with uh, the Boston Community Loan Fund, which has since become Blue Hub. So our time goes back a long,
1: long way for sure.
0: We do. And it's a wonderful, wonderful time and wonderful to look backwards.
1: But, Mary, if I have this straight, you. Came to USA with a history of primarily working as a contractor. Uh, And then this guy, and and I'm looking at you, Paul, offers you a job at a startup nonprofit looking to reproduce the success found in one single state all across the country in a marketplace where this was overwhelmingly a foreign concept and with seasoned players who were, let's face it, more well-known and far better resourced and funded with their tenure in the industry. So... What gave you the confidence to join on? Was it simply a leap of faith or was there something more? It was my father. Well,
2: actually, actually, it was 2007 and I was doing consulting work with a number of CDFIs and was a contract underwriter and, and loan originator for several CDFIs. And Paul came and talked to me about this idea of putting together a national network of nonprofits to take what had been so very successful in New Hampshire across the country. And I was very interested because in all the times that I had been working in cooperatives and CDFIs, I very often was in a situation where I would come across a manufactured home community where the residents wanted to purchase in a state that wasn't New Hampshire. And I would be working to put together the financing for that. And I would call on the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund for assistance. And I would call up and say, I got to underwrite this loan and you do this all the time. So please help me. Can I send my numbers to you and just look for mistakes and help me figure out how the pro forma should look. And the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund was always willing to assist me and many other nonprofits out there that were working to do rocks in a very, very limited way before there was rocks. You know, we're trying to do limited equity cooperative manufactured home communities. And it was very difficult not having ongoing technical assistance and not having the capital available readily to finance the homeowner purchase and not having any of the tools and templates and processes and approach to this as something that was more system-like. So when Paul came and asked me if I was interested in working with him and creating this network of nonprofits, I told him that I thought it was brilliant. I had spent a lot of time working with cooperatives where nobody ever wanted to support technical assistance. And uh, I had made a lot of loans to cooperatives and desperately sought technical assistance for these brand new businesses who were attempting to own and operate a building, in most cases, or a mobile home park in some. And nobody wanted to pay for it the philanthropists, the foundations didn't want to pay for it, the lenders didn't want to pay for it. They would turn to the nonprofits and say, "You guys, you're nonprofits, just get grants for that." And I thought that the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund's approach of supporting their technical assistance through the financing was brilliant. And I also loved the idea of trying to put together a nonprofit network that would support one another and be able to share the cost of doing the kind of affordable housing that we were talking about doing with manufactured home communities. And starting from the beginning, to create what were the parameters for that i had worked in a lot of efforts to bring together disparate nonprofits who were doing all the same work and get them to use their power of numbers to generate the resources that they needed the attention that they needed and the financing and funding that they needed only to be undercut by them being unable to agree on what the model was that they were going to be promoting. And that's true for actually for community loan funds and for community land trusts. There just was a great deal of inability to bring together these disparate nonprofit views of how that work was done. And we were going to start out with a proven Model of success. At that point, New Hampshire had been doing resident owned communities for, at that point, it must have been almost 30 years, I'm going to say. I can't remember. I think there were, I want to say there were 80 some odd resident owned communities in New Hampshire at the time. I felt like the proof of concept was well established and that this was a model that a limited equity cooperative model that we could ask other nonprofits if they wanted to get in that box with us. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we want to do it. Are you interested in coming in? And starting a network from that point of standardization seemed to me to be an incredibly elegant idea. So that's what
0: attracted me. And Mary served in outstanding fashion as the director of Rock USA Network for 14 years over really supporting the network of nonprofit affiliates that have been providing technical assistance in communities and just terrific work uh, and a workload that uh, would have had most people crying uncle. There's just no question. But before we get to Mary's new position, Mary, I'd love you got this question many times as I did in the early years. Well, this this co-op thing, well, it sounds like a, maybe it's a New Hampshire specific thing, you know, where the town meeting is is something that people are used to, or the old New England barn raising culture where people got together and Built barns for one another on a on a several weekends, et cetera. But uh, when was it for you when you saw this working in other parts of the country? Is there a project that stands out in your mind, a co op project elsewhere outside of New England that said, "Ah, yeah, we knew this worked other places. We knew homeowners would step up to the plate in other places." But what was it for you? Is there a project that comes to mind that that sort of said, "Oh yeah, this is a national model."
2: You're right, Paul. There there have been many many times where folks have have questioned it. And honestly, I felt like I, when I first started in in, uh, Rock USA Network, I really needed to be on the ground. And I had done a few manufactured home communities in other states, particularly Massachusetts. So I had seen the conversation with a group of homeowners who live in a community and understand pretty much right away what they are facing when offered the opportunity to actually purchase. And I say this all the time, I feel like there's always somebody that stands up in that room and says, I've done the math, we can't afford not to do this. This makes sense for us as homeowners. In terms of particular rocks, I would say I remember early on that We were a little deer in the headlights with our first very large acquisition. And it was two communities, not one. It was Cranberry Village and uh, Pine Tree Village down in Carver, Massachusetts. And I actually had been on a ferry one time and sitting at the bar talking to someone and talking about Rock USA uh, right before we launched. And this young man told me that his mom lived in a community and had bought a home there, um, Cranberry Village and had bought it as a retirement home. And the property owner was going to sell it and understood that he had to give the residents a chance to purchase it, but was telling everybody in Cranberry Village that there's no way you want to do this because I'm going to sell these two properties together. And then you'd have to be sold with with Pine Tree and you know what will happen then. Well, when the community did come up for sale, I myself was the one along with CDI. They only had one person on staff at the time at CDI. And we went around together and canvassed all of the homes in Pine Tree Village and Cranberry Village. I actually remember it because it was Super Bowl Sunday. So you can imagine how popular we were knocking on doors on Super Bowl Sunday in (laughs) Massachusetts but it was really eye opening to me how quickly people responded were interested were suspicious but knew this was something they had to look for they had to look into they had to make sure there were all kinds of things going on in both of those communities and it was the biggest was the biggest deal that we had at Rock USA had had done up to date to do these two communities together and again standing in that room and putting forth the idea that had been put forth to many homeowners in new hampshire and saying this to two completely different communities a family community working people who you could say all the things about not having time to actually own and operate their community and a 55 plus community you could say all the things about why Folks in a 55 plus community, they came there to retire. They were looking forward to sitting on their rocking chair. Why would they want to get involved in resident ownership? And in both cases, both communities made the same decision and more than one person got up in that room and said, if we want to stay in this community and have any say over the operation of this community and have a sense of peace of mind we have to do this because this is the only way we're going to get it. And people, you know, a room full of adults are going to make a decision based on, on their interests and the interests of their neighbors. And so that's one community. I have to say one other that was, again, it was a situation out in Washington state, three communities trying to purchase three communities that were, largely Spanish-speaking homeowners, many of them second and even third generation folks who had lived in these communities. They worked far more than 40 hours a week, in most cases, the, the working folks in those communities. I could tell all kinds of stories about the individuals in each of those communities. And our affiliate out there, the Northwest Cooperative Development Center, was working so hard to get the message out. They were so concerned that they weren't gonna get enough of the homeowners to come to that first member meeting and take a vote. And it was it was broiling hot and we bought our cooler and we bought our outdoor tent, you know, one of those little canopies and we set it up on the piece of vacant land in that community and we had the table set up and we had all the paperwork and we waited and waited and it got closer and closer to the time that the meeting was supposed to start. And we got more and more concerned that nobody was gonna come. One of the homeowners who lived right, sort of catty corner down the street there, came over and said, the sun is now behind my house. Why don't we move over to my side yard? And very nice Hispanic man, his family was there, his wife, his three kids. So we moved all the chairs over to next to his house and slowly but surely people streamed out of their homes. The entire bought their own chairs. We set up more chairs. People bought lawn chairs out of their garages. We all got together. The community owners hired on-site property manager came and tried to make a point about why this wasn't worth it. And I went over and started to talk with him and the meeting went on and folks spoke in Spanish. They spoke in English. They spoke in two languages and they all said the same things. It was a unanimous vote. We need to buy this community. And they did. Uh, and that was uh, Ponderosa was the name of that community. And it, it's, uh, so yeah, those two things I'm, I had no, no concerns after that this is not about people having been to a town meeting in a little white church in new hampshire this is about people recognizing that their home and their land are the only way that they're going to be secure if if they can bring those two together and that the way they can do it is in cooperation with their
0: neighbors that's a great example those three communities in Moses Lake, Washington, largely Hispanic as you said and have been tremendously successful as co-ops and that is a that's more than a stone throw from New Hampshire so that's a great example of how this really you know, this better together ownership model has really resonated across the country. And we could go on and on with stories, but I I know you'd have, there's just the perfect one to, to make that point, Mary. So you have moved into a new role here at Rock USA. And that's really the purpose of having you on Ownership Matters is not to look backwards only, but actually to start looking forward. Uh, and it's in a new service unit that we've called Rock Movement. And it's a really special uh, service unit really to put the energy, the staff capacity behind our number one strategic priority, which is to help ROC leaders and ROC members across the country be movement leaders. And so, Mary, in this new role, we want to dig in here a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the ROC Movement uh, Service Unit. What are you up to?
2: Well, as you said, Paul, I think that you and I have known since probably 2013, when the Rock Association was first incorporated and really began to operate as an association of resident-owned communities, an association of the corporations themselves, of the co-ops themselves, that we needed to put, I'll say, our money where our mouth is and provide the kind of resources, staff resources for that association to be what it could be, to really represent Those resident owned communities in a whole range of ways represent those communities on the Rock USA board, represent those communities to stakeholders on the on the local scene, whether it's it's county commissioners or police chiefs or um, the business community in the Chamber of Commerce, whatever it might be. And on the national level as well, to Congress people and agencies like HUD and, and others that support affordable housing and that have for a very long time pretty much ignored manufactured housing and certainly have ignored manufactured home communities. So we knew that the association could represent these communities and these uh, homeowners in those boardrooms and hearing rooms and wherever else rooms they all meet and also ultimately knit themselves together to support one another in this very difficult work that they do right it is not easy to be a cooperative group decision making is never easy let's face it i come from a family with eight siblings And group decision-making is not easy, let me tell you. Um, So to be in a situation where you're making decisions with your neighbors and for your neighbors is hard work. And being able to talk with other leaders who are doing the same things and support one another, come up with ideas together and promote certain things. You know, we've, right now we're in the middle, Rock Association is in the middle of launching its very first Pilot, if you will, and it's the member engagement pilot. And this is something that, you know, rock leaders all know they want to focus on. And we've got a community leader in Kim Capen who said, Look, I've got some ideas for how this actually happens, and I'd like to test them with my fellows out there in the resident-owned community world. And so it's a perfect example of a bringing something that's worked well in one community. It's not a one thing, it's a set of things and out to the other communities and trying it out and saying, okay, is it working with you? Well, maybe we need to, maybe we need to tweak it a little bit, but eventually building something that everybody in the rock world can can share and benefit from. So that's the other piece I think of rock Association's purpose. They're stated in their articles of incorporation that one of their purposes is to create a peer-to-peer network and really support ROCs so that no matter where their TA provider goes, no matter where ROC USA goes, those ROC leaders have each other in the future to support one another. And I think it's a very important piece of ROC Association's work. So, that's what Rock Movement is here for, is in part to support the Rock Association um, to be what it can be and to meet its purpose. And yeah, so the first couple of months at Rock Movement have all been about Rock Association. They had their annual meeting in June. They're looking at expanding the board of directors. They The two committees of Rock Association have been incredibly active. I think we counted over 20 presentations that they've made. And just like I said, across the board, presentations to TA providers, presentations to congressional leaders, presentations to other resident owned communities, stepping out and going to communities that are, where we just had a Liberty landing in Missouri, the first resident owned community in Missouri. Of course, they're gonna wonder what this is all about. Three different times, Rock Association outreach and education members came and spoke to the members and the board of that community to say, how can we help you think through this big decision that you're going to make? Let us answer your questions. Let us tell you what our communities have been like. So that's been a significant piece of work. And the Policy and Advocacy Committee has been um, incredibly active. And as you know, we've got a $500 million fund in the House Appropriations Bill for the Infrastructure Improvement and Acquisition Funds for ROCs. And talk about ROC leaders taking on the leadership and directing the rock movement. Our strategic plan, the number one priority for ROC leaders in that strategic plan was infrastructure. And I think we've stayed true to that. The Policy and Advocacy Committee has stayed true to that as a goal. And we're really seeing the fruits of it on both state levels and also on the national level now, if this actually comes to fruition. And and, um, first time ever that manufactured home communities have been included directly and specifically in a HUD language and, and in appropriations language. So a significant win on that front. And those are the other things that that rock movement will be taking on more of, so policy research, and impact data and it gets another piece that we all know ROC leaders want to know you know what is most important, what are we accomplishing, and how can we show that with real data
1: that's tremendous tremendous work, and compressed into such a short time frame here it's It's really exciting to see where things are gonna go. So, Mary, you've done a career's worth of advocacy, you know, on behalf of of many different audiences, and you've seen others do the same thing. But what is it about rock leaders themselves being the advocates for themselves and their neighborhoods that really is so powerful? And and I ask because I know you just came back a couple of weeks ago from a trip to Washington, D.C., where you were joined with, you joined rock association leaders as they visited various congressional offices. To lobby for the things that are important for Rock leaders. How did that go? What was that like? It was awesome.
2: I have to say, first and foremost, that the Rock Association directors, Deb Winowitz here in New England as the New England regional director, Marjorie Gilsrood, who's got the whole uh, Midwest and Central and even South region of Rock Association. And then John Egan in the Mountain West region where the three Rock Association directors, they not only did their work at the Rock USA board, but also their own board meeting, uh, which was extensive in terms of their strategy and where they wanted to go, but their enthusiasm. So number one, I'm gonna say it's enthusiasm. Every one of those rock leaders is so enthusiastic about their communities and their neighborhoods and what they're trying to do to bring that to congressional staff. It comes across and it just makes it fun. It makes it really, really fun. They were just so excited. I think the second thing is, is there's nothing like hearing it from the people who are living it. So for you know the folks that are in on these congressional staffs and have, they've heard it all, they've seen it all. They've, you know, they're in the hallowed halls. They, they have all that perspective, right? And like you're saying, they've, they've listened to lobbyists and advocates and well-meaning and not so well-meaning folks trying to convince them to do something or support something or spend money on something. So just to say that, You know, the folks that we're talking to have seen all kinds of people, all kinds of lobbyists and advocates and well-meaning folks and not so well-meaning folks trying to talk them into doing something or spending money on something or including some regulation in, in the work that they're doing. And to actually hear from people who are impacted by the decisions they make and who are living the life that they're coming to advocate for makes a huge difference. And I saw it every time they asked a question of us sitting at the table and Marjorie, you know, said, very frankly, you know, when I moved into my community, we had a lot of issues with crime and drugs and we owned it for maybe a year. And the police chief came out and said, you guys are doing great. We are rarely called to come to this community anymore. We simply come by for a regular check and police chief was uh, testified to the county on how much it meant to him to see what was going on in this community now that it was resident owned. When they asked a question about climate change and what does that mean for communities, Deb Wynowitz said, my community lost over a thousand trees in the last storm. Our tree cover, which is very important to the community, had been neglected for years. And we purchased it and we've spent over $35,000 of our own money dealing with trees. But after this storm, we were inundated and one of the rocks from the next town over brought us a check to help us deal with what was going on. We'd like to see that kind of climate uh, mitigation built into this infrastructure bill that you guys are looking at. So I could continue on, but every question that was asked, people were able to say why it was important to them. We were in the Colorado Senator's office, Senator Bennett, and they asked about the uh, opportunity to purchase. John Egan was able to speak to the fact that Animus of you would never have been able to purchase their community if it hadn't been for the fact that Colorado had finally passed opportunity to purchase, and he spoke very frankly about the fact that we stood on the shoulders of a community that was closed because a community owner wanted to sell the land for development and make a ton of money while And that is what spurred opportunity to purchase in Colorado and it enabled us. We live on a beautiful riverbank. Um, We have a gorgeous community. It's a wonderful place to live. And everyone in that community breathed a sigh of relief once we bought it. And I think hearing that really intrigued these staff people because they were hearing from real people who really know
0: yeah and and real people who have stood up in and are uh, providing community leadership in their communities you know local homeowners that are are actively engaged in uh, owning and uh, managing the community uh, over the long term for the benefit not just of themselves but for the entire community and really the entire region because they're providing secure affordable housing for that region how do you not get behind Uh, these communities. Uh, And I just love that we've got dedicated co-op leaders that aren't just, you know, contributing at a local level, but they're also stepping out and supporting other communities. The peer-to-peer networking you mentioned, the work on outreach and education, talking to new communities, talking to uh, on the policy and advocacy side, talking to legislators, sharing their stories. Um, We just see tremendous opportunities for more and more co-op leaders to step out and uh, share their stories here, I think, uh, at the end of the day. And what you're reporting back, Mary, is the impact of that. I mean, there's a real opportunity for co-op leaders to drive how the public sector and really how the private sector interacts with these communities and supports these, these resident-owned communities. No?
2: I would love to see anybody who says, these people can't own and operate one of these properties they have no experience how could they possibly i'd love to hear one of those say that directly to deb winowitz who says frankly i have over four miles of roads in my community that i have to make sure get paved and plowed and let me tell you this is how we do it or say that to marjorie Gilsroot, who just hired um, a property manager who she is working with on a daily basis and is thrilled to see how the improvements are taking place in her community because she just went through a three-month-long process interviewing property managers and choosing one that really works for her community. I'd love to see somebody try to say that to their faces because they will tell them,
1: don't think we can't. I'm reminded of the episode we did uh, a while back with uh, Dennis Jakubowski from Marilla Country Village out toward Buffalo, New York. And he was very proud of the fact that he went and spoke to many communities that were in the early stages of deciding whether or not to become a co-op because their community was for sale. And he said that the exact same thing you just said, Mary, about that that doubt, there was self-doubt in a lot of these communities that this is a very expensive proposition. How are we going to ever be able to do this? And I think him being there, and I and I think I'm sure Dennis would agree, you know, really helped put people at ease and gave them the confidence that they could do this because you and Paul and I could talk to or blue in the face about how resident ownership is a is a great decision and it will be really successful and blah, blah, blah. But until you hear that from somebody who's living it, you know, I, I'm sure that is makes such a huge difference for folks.
2: And as it, you know, Mike, our leaders are honest. They don't tell people that this is easy. There's nobody I've seen speak to a group of folks who are trying to make the decision. And let me be perfectly clear. It is their decision. Nobody is there saying, let me sell you a really good deal. They're saying, here's what is available. The financing is available. The technical assistance is available. This Rock Association peer-to-peer support is available. Others have done this for almost 40 years, but you decide, you decide if this is what is best for you and for your community, but they're really honest. It's hard work. Everybody has to take a turn. This is, once you're a member, it's more that you're more than a tenant. Now you're an owner and you gotta think like an owner. And I would say 99% of the time, people reflect afterwards on how different it is being an owner and how more you care about whether or not that litter gets picked up off the street or your neighbor gets checked on when they don't have their blinds up in the morning or, you know, whether or not the property manager is doing their job or whatever. There's just a, a commitment there and people notice it right
1: away. So this is clearly pretty exciting work that's going on in rock movement. And I bet some of our listeners are interested in helping too. Is there a place for more rock leaders to step up and what would be required of them and how do they get started? Well,
2: there's absolutely room and there's plenty to do. There's no question about that. And there's always room. And I think that folks are getting that message more and more, both at the Better Together calls and at the Rock Leadership Program, the Better Together Leadership Program that is just completing actually this Thursday. But the Rock Association page on the website is probably the first place to go if you're interested if, if there are rock leaders out there who are interested in getting more involved there's an opportunity for each of the committees um, we've just recently actually are planning onboarding new members to the policy and advocacy committee and the outreach and education committee folks stepped up right away at the annual meeting when we talked about the committees they raised their hands, put their names in the chat, said contact me, I'd like to join. And um, also at the Rock leadership program when we discussed it, immediately people um, stepped up and said, yeah, this sounds like something I'd be interested in. So service on the committees is available. The Better Together calls, they are once a month. They're always the, the first Wednesday of the month. It's a one hour call. It's a great place to just get your feet wet and hear from other rock leaders. They're topic oriented. There's a a new topic. All the topics come from the groups that attend. At the end of the meeting, the last thing we do is what's people's suggestions for topics. And they've talked about everything from grant writing to infrastructure, how to make your community project ready if you're going to go after an infrastructure grant or loan refinancing they have guest speakers it's really a a fabulous place to learn more and also get to know other rock leaders from around the country because it does attract folks from all across the country so the better together calls it's on the website there's a little button to click and sign up um and both committees have the the same option and you're always welcome to come to a committee meeting also, the Rock Association board meetings are posted on the calendar under the Rock Association page. Those are open meetings. Any member is welcome to come and sit in on a Rock Association board meeting. And I really can't say enough about the, the Better Together Learning Leadership Program that's just taken place through this month of June. Um, And I think there'll be more and more opportunities for folks to access learning online and combine it with learning that's taking place in person through their TA providers. And I'm gonna make one more pitch if I may. Um, We are, uh, the ROC Association is assisting ROC USA in its strategic planning and is holding sessions in conjunction with their TA provider in-person trainings across the country, and we'll be doing a session on on strategic planning that will help direct this next Rock USA strategic plan. So it's a very important process, and we'd really love to see folks get involved with that. So if you haven't signed up for your local training program, it's the Rock Summit in Montana, and it's Common Ground in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, it's CROC out in Washington and Oregon. Um, there will be a strategic planning uh, opportunity. So please take part in it.
0: Great. Wonderful, Mary. And our, our regular listen, listeners will know that these will all appear in the show notes and uh, the Rock Association page uh, on the rockusa.org website is what Mary's referring to. And there's a calendar there and these events will show up on the calendar as well. So uh, wonderful summary of all of the association's activities and great excitement for rock movement uh, mary we're going to close out with uh with asking you just quickly to uh, put your uh, miner's cap on and look as far into the into the tunnel as possible five years from now what might we expect to see out of a rock association
2: wow You know, I don't know that I can predict, but I think it will be. I think it will be a, I don't want to say a standalone organization. I want to say, as often as people say Rock USA or Rock USA Capital, they will say Rock Association um, because Rock Association will be known for the work that it does on behalf of rocks. And rocks across the country will look to Rock Association as a resource, and I believe that yeah, you'll see it in the paper, you'll hear it on the lips, and the association will be asked to speak in those hallowed halls and auditoriums and podcasts and uh, et cetera on a regular basis.
0: There's no question; I can tell you, uh, hearing from people, the enthusiasm to bring. Rock leaders to various panels, various places to speak and share their insights, uh, it's really taking off and I expect much, much more of it. And Mary, thank you so much for your dedication to resident ownership and to these communities. I know personally how much this means to you. It shows every day and, and how you conduct yourself and the work you do, the passion you bring for this. So on behalf of all the resident owned communities and all of us here at Rock, you say thank you for all you do. And we look forward to many, many more years of great, great work together. Thanks for joining us on Ownership Matters. We really appreciate it.
2: I love Ownership Matters. And thank you, Paul, for saying all that. But And all I can say is I work with wonderful people, just wonderful people. And I can't tell you how much I enjoy it.
0: Great. Great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.
1: It was great to have Mary join us to talk about all the exciting work happening with the Rock Association and with Rock USA's efforts on the policy
0: front. It sure was, Mike. I think it's particularly great to hear her talk about the work of Rock Association committees. These are co op leaders from across the country that come together to work on outreach and education and policy and advocacy. I'd really like to reiterate that anyone living in a residential community can join a committee or a Rock Association initiative like the monthly Better Together calls. To learn more about everything the Rock Association is working on, visit their website at rockassociation.org.
1: And thanks for joining us on today's episode of Ownership Matters. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Thanks, everyone. Be well.